0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart.
1: Hey, get your popcorn ready.
0: NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn,
2: your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to bring you the latest edition of our power rankings and go round the league with Eric. Adelson from Yahoo Sports.
1: And Brian, let's kick off the podcast today with former NFL MVP and Super Bowl champion, Joe Theismann.
2: Joe, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. And when we've chatted in the past, you've had good things to say about Kirk Cousins. How much help did he get from that solid running game in the win in L.A. on Sunday?
3: Well, I think every quarterback does. By the way, Cordell, how are you, Brian? Good, Good Joe. Good, good Joe. Um, You know, any quarterback, you know, you get a a sense of comfort when you know you can run the football. It really pre- presents a lot of difficulty for a defense to be able to figure out how they want to defend you. The only thing that happened in the Rams game is, is really other than the uh, touchdown catch that Ryan Grant made, the wide receivers really weren't involved a lot in that game. That was pretty much Chris Thompson's show, and he did a terrific job through the course of the day, and, of course, Rob Kelly. Now with Rob Kelly's ribs, uh, you don't know exactly to what extent He's going to be able to do what he did, but if he doesn't go, we got a young kid by the name of Mac Brown who looks just like him. So uh, the running game's always a big plus for a quarterback.
1: Joe, when you when you get an opportunity to hear players, former players, uh, gripe about maybe some things that happened on the team when they were playing, like the RG three incident of saying that Mike Shanahan really never gave him an opportunity or a chance to really succeed and and then you have uh, Santana Santana Moss actually responding to that. When you hear that, and that's five years ago, uh, when you hear that type of stuff, especially for RG3 who still have an opportunity to play in the National Football League, how does that, one, says the locker room was when he was playing, and two, uh, how does that affect him moving forward with an opportunity to play with maybe owners, maybe some GM front office people here, and him sounding as if he's still bitter about what took place when he was there with the Washington Redskins? Well, you
3: know, I I think, You know some of the things I I guess Santana said those things about Robert and you know it's it's water under the bridge. Why do you have to bring it up? Why do you have to hash it? I mean, do you really need to create a situation for yourself where you need that kind of attention in a negative manner? And you know I'm just it didn't speak very well, and it doesn't speak very well for the for the health of that locker room at that time. But that's something that's so far in the past; it's ridiculous. And You know, as far as Robert goes, the reason Robert's not been able to catch a job, I think, and it's not like he hasn't worked out for some people, is he's always struggled as a pocket passer. passer. He, um, You know, when he came into the league, just like Colin Kaepernick, they were running phenoms. And they were a big part of why their offenses were number one rushing in the national football league. But to maintain any type of degree of success and longevity in this business, you have to be able to throw the ball from the pocket. It's something that Robert has not been able to do, and in part it isn't his fault because he's been injured so much. So you got a guy who can't really work on a trade that he has to have to be a quarterback in this league.
2: Joe Theismann is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Joe, let's move around the league. Washington has had some incredible offensive lines over the years. We know about the famous Hogs. What's going on in Seattle? Russell Wilson, tough and mobile, but if they don't upgrade that offensive line, is he in big trouble this year?
3: Heck yeah. I mean, you could see the the um, pounding he's been taking. Now we're in week two, and he's been running for his life. The difference between he and Eli Manning is Eli can't run for his life. Russell's still going to make some plays with his legs, but he's going to take an awful lot of hits. And... You know, they sorely missed him, uh, his ability to be able to do things a year ago. So, yeah, I, I think the offensive line, to me, is where you start to build a football team. Um, although the Denver Broncos proved that the defensive front seven could handle uh, five guys up front pretty well when they played Dallas this past week. But I absolutely think that Seattle is in trouble if they can't fix the offensive line. They've lost some key people, and they haven't been able to find an answer. And the Giants... They stayed with the same five guys they had a year ago, and they had a year ago a problem. So, you know, I think the Giants' problem goes above the players. It goes to front office decisions. And, you know, if you've got a left tackle that's struggling, don't leave them out there on an island to try and block a great pass rusher. Help them. So, to me, watching you know, watching those two football games, there's definitely an issue. And those aren't the things that get solved overnight. And so, yeah, I think Russell's in for a – a busy year and Eli maybe for a sore one
1: Joe you played the game for some time and you actually covered the game uh, when you look at players that's been let's just say talked about in a negative way or even questioned especially at the quarterback position but yet you see them come back and they fight and they dig and they grind and and they start off real fast and I'm going to Alex Smith I've been t- calling his name out all week uh, he's truly has come around over the last two weeks. When conversations have always been, can he thread the needle? Can he throw the deep ball? And then Andy Reid he looked like he's opened up the game plan. But it takes Alex Smith going out being efficient when it comes down to throwing the football. He's been that every bit of the way. Give me your take on how do you see him actually developing and evolving to being one of the better quarterbacks in the game so far.
3: Oh, I think right now you'd have to say he's—you uh, know—he's in the top three or four in the league. Uh, certainly throws the ball well, but always has. You know, look at the Kansas City Chiefs, though, um, and a little bit of it, I think, is—is is what you really mentioned, Cordell, is Andy opening up the playbook a bit more. They've got tremendous speed all over, and when you have a—you know—you got a runner like Hunt, like you—we first question we talked about: What is—you know—what is a running game done for Kirk Cousins? what is a running game done for Alex Smith two years ago, the Kansas city chiefs did not have a wide receiver, catch a touchdown pass. I mean, just, just me saying it even sounds unbelievable, but that was a fact last year in 16 football games, Alex Smith threw 16 touchdown passes. That's about a quarter of a season for Tom Brady this year. You see them throwing the ball down the field. They've got some explosiveness to their offense. They're running the ball well. We always know how good their defense has been. That is a very complete football team. And Alex has basically done with the job he's been asked to do the last couple of years, but now they're taking advantage of the fact that they've got some speed outside and they're going to scare the living daylights out of people down the field.
2: We're chatting with Joe Theismann on the NFL on TuneIn. Joe, if you look at the stat line or watch the game in New Orleans, Tom Brady, tremendous on Sunday, probably helps he was taking on that shaky Saints defense. Do you think Brady, who apparently has not had a carb in 15 years, really can be the George Bland of his generation and play until he's 45 years old?
3: I think he can get close. I don't know if he can squeeze five more years out of it. I talked to Tom a couple years ago in San Francisco at Super Bowl 50, of which he disappointingly was not a part of. I mean he's not playing in a Super Bowl, he just, you know, he's always cordial, a great guy, terrific person. But you can see the almost disappointment when he's there and not playing. I asked him how long he was going to play. I said, "You going to play another year or so?" He said, "I'll play at least three. So I see Tom getting to 43. God willing, he stays healthy. Um, I think that's going to be the magic number. So that will at least be a couple more years going. I don't think he'll make it to 45. But then again, I didn't think too many guys could make it to 40. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: you're Speaking of 45 or even 40, uh, Eli Manning is getting really close to that age, and it's starting to look that way over the last couple weeks. Give me your take on how Coach McAdoo and, and Eli have handled uh, these last couple of weeks. Coach McAdoo had calling out the two players, the center, as well as the quarterback, directly uh, and saying they, they, they botched that that the handling of the quarterback-center exchange because of the delay of the game, and, and but yet you had a pundit ask the question, could you have called timeout, which majority of times you have coaches who are cognizant of the game clock, and he wasn't. How do you see this thing transpiring as we move forward, considering – uh, that Coach McAdoo was a play caller not too long ago, and and Eli Manning is a veteran, and he looks as if he's a he's a young rookie in the game right now.
3: Um, you well, know, Coach is still the play caller. He he still calls the plays, and you know, that was that's an error made by Eli, and he knows it. You know, and and it's you know it's refreshing to see a coach instead of trying to cover up for all these guys. It's refreshing for him to say, "Hey, look, this guy screwed up." So, you know, what basically says is there isn't any player on the Giant football team that is above reproach. There isn't any player that isn't held accountable and responsible. And I want everybody to know that. I think that was one thing. See, I, you know, I think that you know, Eli's just getting the living daylight speed out of him. He held the ball so long in so many instances. And you know, Brandon Marshall stepped up and said, hey, look, you know, I probably made the biggest play of the game by dropping that football. At that juncture in the game, that thirty-yard-plus game that he would have had would have changed the game completely, possibly gotten momentum back on the Giants' side. So, as you look at that game and you study that game, um, you know the Giant offense is mired in what looks like the same problems they had a year ago. The plays look the same. You're not helping out offensive linemen. They can't really run the football that effectively. It all falls on Eli's shoulders. and there's one thing we can't forget, is the two world championships that Eli Manning has won. Both of those years, the Giants were 9-7. and seven. So, if we're into the third week of the season, don't necessarily count the Giants out completely. And I've always believed this, guys. And Cordell, you and I have gone through training camps where people actually hit one another. I think that... The first two weeks of the regular season are really glorified preseason games for the starters because they just don't play. And so now is the opportunity to get out and play.
2: Joe, we try to emphasize positive stories around the league on this show. We know that you won an MVP award, Super Bowl champion, but what did winning the NFL Man of the Year award in 1982 mean to you?
3: Oh, it was just, um, you know, it, it's such a great honor because we as players don't conscientiously just go out and try and work in the community. You know, I've already cast my vote this year. I don't have one, but I'm casting it anyway for JJ Watt for what he has done to reach out and help the people of Houston with his, uh, with the website he set up. Now here's a guy that wanted to raise $200,000 and he's probably upwards or close to 40 million. Um, It's such a great response from so many fans and so many people that care, but, it was a great honor to be able to work uh, with the Children's Hospital National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., and and be a part of trying to build a new one. And I think you know that's one of the things that all of us have learned uh, that have played the game and have been honored in this way is that it's so much more enjoyable to give than it is to receive. We're blessed as players, you know. We're blessed beyond belief. And if you can do something to make someone else's life a little more comfortable, a little bit easier, then that's really the thing you shoot for. That, that to me, is what success is all about.
1: I know sometimes success really derives off of, of wins and losses, but I think everything that we saw J.J. Watt do and a lot of other players uh, I thought was extremely commendable. But guess what, Joe? We don't talk about that type of stuff enough. You know, we, no, we have a right. tendency sometimes to, to get caught up into the X's and the O's and the wins and losses and guy making so much money and as soon as he makes a mistake we want to beat him down. You know, it, you it's know you good guys, to be you able know, to you know
3: what you guys can do. Hey Cordell, yeah. I got a, I got an idea. Go ahead. On your show, on your show, take take a segment. Take one player that has done something, something exceptional in the course of that week. One player. Whether it's visiting a, um, a veterans hospital, whether it's you know contributing a certain amount of money to something, whether it's going out to a YMCA, whether it's whatever it might be, and just talk about it because it has to start somewhere. And you guys have the opportunity. You brought up a great point. You know, we emphasize on the, you know let's 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 all talk about Ezekiel Elliott. Well, let's not. Let's talk right. about somebody that does something in a positive way. You know, whether it's, whether it's a great block on the field or whether it's something off the field that they're contributing to. Um, you know, let's do an update on J.J. Watt every week just to see how much more money can be raised to help the people of Houston and those that are in, in need um, through the American Red Cross and, and other foundations and other charities. I think, it, I think it's a, it would be a great segment just to let people know that, hey, the guys that play this game, There's an awful lot of guys out there doing an awful
2: lot of good. That's a tremendous concept. We're already doing it with members of the Legends community, but I'm with you, Joe. I think we can make the shift to active players as well. Last one for me. You're always gracious when I ask you a question about entertainment. You've given us stories about hanging out on set with Burt Reynolds what can you tell me about your time in American Gladiators, and did you ever suggest they test for PEDs for those Gladiators?
3: We didn't even know, we didn't even know what a PED was. <laughs> you know, we thought it was P-E-Z, like those old pens, um, <laughs> the candy dispensers. That's what we thought it was at that time. No, it was, it was fun. Actually, um, Mike Adamley, who broadcast in Chicago on a Chicago, I believe, sports there, Mike and I did the first two years of American Gladiators, which really has become an unbelievable American Ninja Warrior and an international show. I think the genesis of it was what we did. I got to tell you a really funny story, though. When we first started doing the show, we had obstacle courses and we had shooting tennis balls at one another and we had all these different things. And we had a a jousting bar. So they would get up on like a two-by-four and joust. And I was walking by it one day. And what they did is they sank screws into the plywood to hold it up, and the screws weren't covered. There was like a a (laughs) six-inch screw sticking up on either side, and I'm thinking, we really are in the embryonic stages of building something, but we better cover these things up before somebody impales themselves (laughs) on it. As a matter of fact, it's really funny. Brian Baldinger, Baldy's sister, competed in the competition, and she actually got hurt and was unable to go on uh, with other competition that she wanted to. So, uh, yeah, it was really fun to be a part of it. And just to see the athletes compete. I mean, I love I'm – I'm a competition junkie. You know, Cordell knows that. We play with each other in golf tournaments and stuff. And, you know, we, we all just love to compete. I mean, that's who we are. It's what we do.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, that, I think that's what make this game so so great. But, but you know and I know sometimes in, in the game – Uh, To have that competitive environment is always healthy. Uh, When you see teams, let's say for an example, like the Houston Texans, uh, I I think they actually dropped the ball at the quarterback position when it came down to creating a competitive atmosphere between Tom Savage and also the kid Deshaun Watson. Because now we all of a sudden see Deshaun Watson actually going out and play. Give me your take on, now that he became the starter uh, overnight, so to speak, shouldn't he have just become the starter come week
3: one? No, I think, I think, you know, Tom was on the football team. He was hurt last year, didn't get a chance to play. I think Bill did the right thing, giving him a chance to be able to go out and do what he needed to do to try and hold on to the job. It was going to be Deshaun. I mean, didn't, they didn't draft him to sit. Right. Maybe they drafted him to sit a little bit longer, but they didn't draft him to sit for any extended period of time. And you saw his, his legs. I mean, he won the game this past week with his legs. He didn't, he didn't win it with anything else. I mean, he'll, he threw the ball well. Hopkins is a great receiver. But, you know, now all of a sudden people are going to start to get a little bit of a book on him. It's a little bit with you see with Ezekiel and, and Dak. Right. Give, our, give the defensive coaches in this business a lot of credit because they are going to study people. It's not like college where you get a limited period of time to look at people. These coaches will spend 100 hours a week just trying to figure out a way to stop you or make you do something you can't do.
2: Joe, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time again on the NFL on TuneIn.
0: Always great catching up with you guys. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. TuneIn puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live. Regular season matchups and rivalry games. Conference championships and bowl games. The college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory. Hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long. Free on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your
2: hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight the top headlines from around the league with Eric Adelson of Yahoo Sports. Eric, one of the highlights of this program is pointing out when I'm occasionally off the mark like predicting the Patriots would go undefeated this season. Has your legendary confidence in Andy Dalton wavered at all?
4: (laughs) What's up, guys? I also wanted to ask you both about the end of the Gator game, but I guess we'll do pro football first.
2: We can because I think Cordell knows a thing or two about Hail Marys, right? Not too bad. Yeah. I mean, it it was a so, great play.
1: So,
4: what, what did you think when you saw that, Cordell?
1: Well, one, you know, I saw the quarterback scramble. It's automatically, you think, it's single digits, time left in the clock. Um, I'm saying to myself, it's a Hail Mary pass. But then when the ball was coming down and I saw the receiver pass, he was past the dang on cornerback. I'm saying to myself, how in the heck did the cornerback allow this to happen? And why can't the quarterback make these types of throws during a game this accurate, that far down the football field? It was an accurate pass as if he intended to do it, but it was technically a hair made pass. I thought it was one of the better games, I would say, of the early part of the, the college season. So. Uh, hats off to Florida and Tennessee couple of guys in my golf club they're so sick right now they hate to hear people <laughs> talking about that man because that was that was a that was a rude way to end the game for a team that was up in that game and, and was pretty much playing solid in Tennessee
2: volunteer
4: And, and how often are you asked about your play?
2: Oh, come on, seriously? It's the ringtone on his cell phone. When you call him, you hear Keith Jackson going, Oh, Cordell
1: Stewart! Allow me to say this. You know, if you just turn the volume down without understanding what's going on as far as the ramifications of Boston beating Miami uh, with Doug Flutie's Hail Mary Pass or LSU in Kentucky tipped off of someone's head, he runs in for 20 yards to score the touchdown. But if you just watch the play in a sense of how it's drawn up in anybody's room for as a hair Mary pass, you get in front of someone, be a distraction, the ball's tip, it's caught in the back of the end zone, balls up in the air, caught, caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Incredible by the great Keith Jackson. How you like that? <laughs>
4: I'll tell you something, uh, and then we'll get to, I know Brian has an agenda here, but I'm from from Ann Arbor. I was born at Michigan Hospital, and I was born and raised in Ann Arbor. I'm sorry. I went off to college. I'm sorry. And my dad, he left me alone. He didn't want to bother me at any point at all, and he never called me. But after that play, he called me. That was the only time the whole year he called me.
2: Uh, It was was a great one.
1: It was a great one. I mean, we're still talking about it a thousand years later. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry.
2: I'm yeah. good. Okay. I, I just hey, want a great. hot take about Andy Dalton from the man who's promoted him more than anybody in sports media. Eric, your thoughts?
4: Yes. All right. Well, I, I, of course, I'm going to say it's not all Andy Dalton's fault um, because I'm, I, I'm just that way. But I really mean it's not all Andy Dalton's fault because they have a, such a, a problem with the offensive line. And it, it was clear from the beginning of, uh, of that, that, that uh, primetime game that there was a that there was a uh that there was an issue and then on the short week um, it's even worse they they have to they have to rebuild the offense whoever the quarterback is uh and and I understand it may not be Dalton but I think even his detractors believe that he's better than this that they can't even score. I mean he I think that people thought even the people who didn't like him during the regular season he was a he was a good quarterback and yes the, and in playoffs he was different and and when more when the pressure was on it was different but that's the kind of game where they should be in in it and they're not. And I don't think that any quarterback behind that line is given enough of a chance. That's going to be the problem they have to
1: fix. The problem is for me, Eric, and to be honest with you, is, is the offensive line. Because we've seen players play with a bad offensive line. I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers. I think you can basically say his line has been decrepit for some time in a sense of you know the consistency of health up front for him. And he finds ways to make plays. but. When you only have when you have four interceptions, uh, one fumble, uh, you come back and you have A.J. Green, one of the better receivers in our game, uh, only with ten receptions, targeted 18 times. Uh, I don't think that's really enough at the end of the day uh, when you have an opportunity to look at players within that division like Antonio Brown, who had targeted 22 times with 16 catches for 244 yards on an average of 15 yards per catch. It's just like there's a glitch in the system, and how do you fix it if, if, if Andy Dalton is still supposed to be the starting quarterback on this team?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to fight too hard on that because your points are great and, and, and they're sound. I, I, I can't argue, but when you don't have time to get open, even somebody like AJ Green, uh, then you're not going to get as many targets. I mean, to me, the plays don't have enough time to develop. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody like him. Maybe a Cam Newton or a Russell Wilson, but you know, Wilson, as you guys know, he's having his own issues with protection. So is Cam. Um, And and Andy Dalton is not those. He's not an MVP quarterback as much as I'd like to make him out to be. Um, But I just, I just don't see him having the time for plays to develop. And and to and to me, the comparison uh, is with the Texans, which uh, which Brian started with. Uh, in that, if you know someone like someone like Hopkins, and he's never been the, the the receiver that he he's capable of being, in part because the window of time to get open is so short. Uh, so, you know, if if they if you chuck Dalton and start with somebody else, you know, if they let's say they 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 finish 0 16, and then they bring in Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's as good as everyone hypes him up to be. I still think you have to protect Sam Darnold or whoever, and that's something that they just haven't done a good job of shoring.
2: Eric Adelson of Yahoo Sports is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Eric, you reference Cam Newton. We're not doctors, and other than Cordell's quarterback expertise, we're not coaches. Just based on the eyeball test, how does Cam look to you, and how big of a setback is it going to be for the Panthers moving forward without Greg Olson, without the broken foot?
4: Yeah, you know, it's different, I, I have to say. I mean, it's, it's not wholly different because he's still making great plays um, and he's still enormously talented. But um, there's, there's some times that he just overthrows uh, receivers, which that just didn't happen two years ago. And there's decisions that he makes that, that it, it feels just the slightest bit tentative, and I don't know. He certainly doesn't play scared. He's, he's definitely, I think, the confidence is still there. But it's just that there's something a little bit off, uh, 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 and not on every play. Just on certain plays um, where it would be a, 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 a touchdown or a big play, or he would make the decision to, to run and uh, and it would get the first down. Um, that's uh, the other thing that's sort of perplexing within within this puzzle is that you it's not a consistent. Um, uh, difference. It's just sporadic. Uh, and, and so you can't say, well, obviously there's something wrong. It's not obvious on every play. Sometimes he's good, but he's just not an overwhelming force this year uh, the way he was before. Because when I was covering him, and you guys watched uh, two years ago, I there was just no way. There was no way to figure him out. You just had to hope for the best or get a defensive line like the Broncos. Um, and, and, and they had that, but no other team did. I mean, you remember the NFC Championship that was an incredible blowout in a championship game. It wasn't even close, uh, and 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 he was just overpowering. That, that Cam Newton we don't see right
1: Over the past couple of years, this Kansas City Chiefs team has, I would say, been really playing good football, but there's been one person I think everyone has had their eyes on, and that's the quarterback in Alex Smith. As of lately, he's really been playing some really efficient football. I, th- I think a masterful uh, game plan put together in the last two weeks by Andy Reid, uh, opening, I would say, the offensive game plan, Alex Smith hitting guys down the seam from Kareem Hunt uh, to Tariq Hill in the first game to the last game, scrambling, getting first downs to throwing shovel pass passes to uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, also with obviously Justin Houston playing as well as he's been playing in, in the ending part of both those games. How much are you believing in Alex Smith that he'll be able to continue this trend to make the division of the AFC West even tougher, of course, with Oakland and Denver playing as well as they are.
4: I, I think game manager gets a bad rap. I sort of use as an epithet almost in, in our little community. But I think that when you have talent uh, around you, uh, which Alex Smith now does, I mean, there's uh, at running back and receiver, there's, there's more talent around him than there has been. There's speed. There's, there's guys you have to game plan against, at least so far this season. And there, there's where a game manager can come in handy. Is that when you, when you're, we you have to uh, account for uh, a faster guy in the flank or somebody in the backfield, then the then the quarterback can manage the game without making mistakes and be deadly at, at, at times. That's what we're looking at here now, um, and that's what I w- was was hoping for, or at least expecting with Andy Dalton, um, Alex Smith. You know, sort of people sort of make fun of him that he's milk toast, he doesn't have the big play. You know, it, 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 it's not really up to him to make the play, big play if he can put the ball in the hands of people who can. Uh, and so far, he's been able to do that. And really, if you look back over the last couple years, uh, they haven't been great in the playoffs, but they have sort of been on the doorstep, and they have been very good on defense, and they've been sound under Andy Reed. They, he's always been that way. So to me, you know what, why not? Uh, the, there's no reason why they can't just continue uh, to be contenders and win games and then get in the playoffs and who else.
2: He's Cornell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber chatting with Eric Adelson from Yahoo Sports. Eric, I can understand how Ryan Nassib landed in Jacksonville, given his personal connections to Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin. But do you think it's a PR challenge for the NFL that a player like Nassib has a job and Colin Kaepernick is still unemployed?
4: I do. I I think so because I cannot think of any other uh, player in NFL history who is as talented and accomplished and young as colin kaepernick who didn't have a job and i know that a lot of people out there think good that he shouldn't have a job um, but it, there are also a lot of people in the league who look at that and they think well is it really team first is it really win at all costs is it really a meritocracy uh... in this league if somebody who's talented and respected and liked by by former teammates uh... can just sort of be out of the league and I know that a lot of people are fine with that, but there's also a lot of people who aren't, and that's something that uh, can come back to haunt you. I think that if you're if you're the NFL, and, and I actually point to Roger Goodell's uh, response to the Michael Bennett situation, which was much different, guys, than than a year ago when he made his first comments on Ka- on Kaepernick. Uh, he said he didn't didn't agree. He talked about the military and, and respect for the flag, and and those are all valid points. But he didn't acknowledge Kaepernick's point. Meanwhile, Bennett, this happens to him, and he's arrested. We still don't know all the story on that. We still don't know exactly what happened. But I thought Goodell's response on that day was telling because it acknowledged that there's an issue here in our society, and he supports the right of players to respond to it in the way they want. That's a change for Goodell, and therefore, that's a change in the league. And I'm not saying that that's going to turn, a, a, that's going to unearth a job for Colin Kaepernick. But it shows that the league actually cares, the ownership cares about the movement, uh, that they're not just blowing it off the way I think they did at the beginning.
1: Eric, you just mentioned the word um, respond. How does the Dallas Cowboys respond uh, to the difficulties they've had this past week against the Denver Broncos when the running game was, was averaging, I think, on the day? what They had nine attempts uh, for, what, eight yards, so which was like .8 yards per rush. Uh, He had two turnovers, one taken back to the house by Keith lead for over 100 yards. How does this team respond, and also the defense giving up as much as they did? How do they respond to a a team that basically just shut them them down and showed all of their deficiencies when it comes to what they can and can't do?
4: Yeah, I mean, this was really kind of an exposure because I think that a lot of us felt that the Cowboys – were Super Bowl contenders and after seeing that against an elite defense I kind of take them out of that category I I was concerned about the Cowboys going into the season I'm sure you guys shared it because of their secondary I think if you go against a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Matt Ryan or Tom Brady uh, you you are in a a sort of a scoring duel that doesn't really work out so well if you're a young team uh, playing against uh, an experienced quarterback Um, so that was my concern with, with the Cowboys but now I have more concerns, which is, uh, it, it, can they be pulled apart by an elite defense? And it looks like they were. And yes, I, I expect them to bounce back. I, I expect them to be somewhat of an aberration. But at some point, the Cowboys are going to have to beat a defense like that. And they're going to need Elliott to do that. They're going to need him at full strength. And I don't know what his uh, mental emotional state is, but, but um, I, I would want some full, complete answers on that, too, because it's not just that he's a great runner. He's a great blocker, too. Uh, and so when you add him blocking uh, and protecting Prescott, uh, along with that offensive line, which is still an elite offensive line, that's a very hard situation for a defense to handle. And if he's not able to be at 100%, uh, it puts more pressure on Prescott, more pressure on the offensive line, and then more pressure on the defense to play better than they really are. So I, I do look at this one game, and I, I, maybe it's an overreaction, but – I, I'm not nearly as bullish about the Cowboys now as I was two weeks ago.
2: Eric, last one for me, even though I pride myself on having an enthusiastic delivery. I'm older than I sound, and I know NFL history. I grew up a Giant fan in the suburbs of New York City. I didn't actually attend the game at the Yale Bowl, but I remember when the Giants were waiting for the Meadowlands to be built. They played on campus in New Haven. Didn't sell it out because that's a massive stadium, and the Giants were terrible. Let's connect it to what's going on right now around the league empty seats at Levi's stadium, LA Memorial Coliseum, plenty of good seats available for the Rams. Does the league have to be a little bit concerned about the optics of those situations?
4: Yes, I, I think so. I think it's a great point. I, I think this expansion was too fast. Uh, I, I think, it, and, and I know that we, we in the media and on the show, we like to talk about, Well, why are the ratings down? Is, is Are the anti protests, uh, to blame here? Um, I think one of the factors here is that you have two fairly major cities in St. Louis and San Diego that are actively pockets of those cities are ch- actively cheering against the teams they used to support. So I'm sure you have people tuning out in those cities. You have people. You have a, you have a, a a restaurant in San Diego that's giving out free tacos when the Rams. I'm sorry, when the Chargers lose. So you are turning off parts of your fan base. Then in L.A., which never clamored for an NFL team. I know people in L.A. I, I've never heard anybody say, being really excited about it. When I'm out in L.A., people aren't counting the days until you get an NFL franchise, let alone two. Uh, and so it's not just that you have an optics problem and you're going to have every media person in a press box taking a picture of game time stands, but you also have the issue of people don't want to pay 100 bucks to park and watch the game. Uh, even when the charges are good, that's not necessarily going to work. So w- it, beyond optics, you need to build your fan base, and this is not the way to do it. I think the expansion was too fast and too hasty, and I think the NFL is going to pay for it.
2: Eric, great information as always. Thank you for buttering up Cordell, because we don't mention enough on this program what he did on the road in Ann Arbor.
4: Well, I'm still upset, at him, and I always will be. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm happy it worked out for me.
1: I'm sorry, man. That's been how many years now?
2: (laughs) I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you, Eric. We'll chat with you soon. See you guys. Thanks.
0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Anthony Valadez. We have a new music channel exclusively on TuneIn, IndieClectic. It's home for the emerging and boundary-pushing artists, from soul to electronic, folk to world sounds, hip-hop to jazz. Music should inspire you, it should challenge you, and make you feel some sort of way. All hand-picked gems from the likes of Nick Hakim. The bands that are featured on the record are all bands that I play. In. What's next? British sensation Jaybird stopped by for a live session and a performance of her single, Cathedral. Latin alternative breakout artist H.L. stopped by to discuss his inspiration. There's been many phases in my life now
1: since Harlem, but it definitely pushes me. And then going downtown, you can't get in a club, you know, you're outside and then you see like Kid Cudi going inside, you know. Just seeing all that being right next to you, people rubbing shoulders, knowing that it's possible. It's all encouraging.
0: From the record bins to the blogosphere and into your ears, it's IndieClectic, heard exclusively on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight the reigning world champs from New England with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, we appreciate you taking the time. Let's start with the personnel changes on defense to begin the game in New Orleans. Malcolm Butler did not get the start. Was Bill Belichick sending a message to some players?
5: Uh, it certainly seems that way. And, um, you know, Malcolm Butler's a guy that I... I think it was 38 straight games he had started, 33 regular season games. Um, I mean, this was a guy that, well beyond the Super Bowl hero status, was a Pro Bowl corner, number one corner the last two years. They matched him up with Antonio Brown multiple times, Odell Beckham. And now they're sort of trying to sell to us that it was a game plan decision. And I think Matt Patricia said, um, this year, what happened last year didn't matter. And this year, we're putting the guys on the field that help us win. And um, so the implication there is they don't feel like right now Malcolm Butler is um, the right guy to help them win. They had Eric Rowe in the game to start, and obviously Stephon Gilmore, their big money corner. But this is a really interesting—I um, guess I'll call it—a situation with Malcolm Butler coming off, you know, the off season where he was a restricted free agent. He visited the uh, the Saints, and I think a lot of people thought he was going to get traded to the Saints. Never happened. Um, was clearly upset he's not getting paid, and, and the guy across from him, Gilmore, is. Uh, and now he found himself in a reserve role, and he actually ended up playing quite a bit later in the game because Eric Rowe got hurt. I wonder what would have happened um, if Eric Rowe had not gotten hurt. We, you know, Were we not going to see a ton of Malcolm Butler? So certainly something that bears watching that can give you the most in- interesting information right now is um, we were sort of told that Malcolm Butler was going to talk to the media today down in the locker room, and they usually have a 45 minute window of of player availability. They actually extended it by a good 15 minutes, um, sort of indicating that they were trying to find Malcolm Butler and bring him to talk to the media. And in the end, he never ended up speaking with the media. So uh, I really don't know what to make of the whole situation.
1: Andy, when you, when you see this team explode the way they did against the new Orleans saints, of course, that was one of the games I think, uh, this team may have needed after how they played week one against Kansas City. But when you have players like Danny Amendola, who's now cleared to practice, was cleared to practice because of the concussion You at Hightower and his issues with Gronk. Um, give me your feeling of of the team and where they are, because injuries are happening extremely early. Uh, with this football team are they are they positioned to make the adjustments if needed uh, with guys like the marquee players that I just mentioned and, and guys who are big contributors on this team
5: certainly in the regular season they are um, because you're going to see a lot of games you know last week they played a Saints team with a with a really horrific defense 30 second a year ago against the pass they're already 30 second this year you know Brady did what he should do against a young bad secondary and threw for 450 yards. This week you roll it forward, you're playing a a Texans team that that doesn't really have an offense right now. They're not able to score points, they still have a good defense, but they're still sort of a one-dimensional team. The Patriots should be good enough, as constituted, even with the injuries, with Brady and sort of the other complementary players to win those games. The question is, if these injuries continue to sort of pile up, can you still be a top echelon team? Are you still better than Oakland or the Steelers or those types of teams that you're going to be battling in January to go to a Super bowl That's, that's the question. And we all know generally in the NFL, you don't get healthier as the year goes along. If, if you're dealing with a lot of injuries in week one, two, and three, um, it's a bad sign because it's a battle of attrition. That's what the cliche is. And, you know, even, even if guys come back, they still, a lot of these injuries linger or they re-injure them. Um, so yeah, they, they have the talent to continue to win, regular season games, to probably win the division. But if you continue to lose key guys like a, a, an, an Edelman and then Amendola's dinged up off and on down the stretch or Gronkowski, who didn't practice today, if this groin thing lingers or he you know, has another season where a couple different injuries pop up, um, that really takes away what I think you had was a gap. The Patriots were the best team in the AFC and there was a gap between them and the next team. I think that gap is closing because of health reasons.
2: Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Andy, we saw Brady throw that touchdown pass to Rex Burkhead first half on Sunday. Is Burkhead's versatility going to be even more important with all the injuries we've been talking about at the receiver position?
5: Yeah, I think it's not just Burkhead. It's James White, Deion Lewis, Rex Burkhead. I think they have three pass-catching running backs who are probably better options than some of the receivers at this point. A guy like Philip Dorsett came in, actually played relatively well in new Orleans in just his second week on the roster. Um, But yeah, as they try to fill that void at slot receiver with Amendola missing a game and things like that, I think Brady has trust in those running backs and, you know, that quick timely passing game that is in the backbone of this new England offense forever. It seems um, you can continue that rolling. If the running backs are doing that job uh, in a slightly different way than, than those traditional slot receivers, you know, the problem is Burkhead's banged up now, you know, he's got a rib injury, um, that that looks like it's going to be an issue for the time being. Um, the good news is Deion Lewis has been sort of a secondary factor so far. And as I said, they have James White. But, um, yeah, the depth of those passing backs is going to help fill in the void at receiver.
1: With all those issues you just mentioned, uh, this is not the normal conversation of when it comes down to a New England Patriots team. How has Coach Bill Belichick adjusted? Uh, with all of this is, is is it the status quo and how he approaches it approaches practice or you've seen him alter some things
5: no you know today they were out there in full pads so it's not like he's giving up one of those and they do that a lot wednesday middle of the week um full pad sessions it's not like he's lightened things up any um and i think he sticks with the traditional you know old school next man up philosophy and you know it's worked for them over the years they're They were very fortunate last year. Rob Gronkowski was really the only key injury they suffered. They stayed very healthy, but there's been other times this team has gone to the playoffs, gone to super bowls with very long injury lists, long lists of guys on IR. And I think they stick to that format of we prepare guys to fill in. We prepare, and you know, it's not just coach speak or player speak when they say we prepare the backup, like he's one play away. They do that. And, I think he's going to stick to that philosophy and keep having physical practices in the middle of the week and just hope that maybe this is just a rash of luck early in the season, bad luck early in the season, and maybe things will turn around. But I haven't seen him really uh, panic or adjust in any way. It's, it's the status quo.
2: Talking Patriots with Andy Hart on the NFL on TuneIn. Andy, the regular season trade deadline coming up next month. How much Jimmy Garoppolo trade conversation do you think you're going to hear from talking heads around the league?
5: Maybe some talking heads. I don't think you're going to hear much from the Patriots themselves. Um, I don't think they have any intention of not only not trading him, but even discussing trading Jimmy Garoppolo in the middle of the year. Um, He is their insurance policy. If anything, I think they've seen injuries elsewhere, and they probably say that's why we have Jimmy Garoppolo, in case one of those happens to be to the quarterback. Um, I do think you're going to hear some Patriots discussions. Um, They have been as active as anybody in in the trade market in recent years. Um, they add Kyle Van Oy, Eric Rowe, you know, way back in the day, to Tlaib, they, they work the, the Jamie Collins a year ago, the surprise trade out of town. They work the trade deadline as well as anyone. And, you know, it wouldn't stun me if you hear the name Malcolm Butler brought up between now and the trade deadline often. Um, you know, I think this is his last season in new England. It, it looks like he's going to be elsewhere next year. If they feel like it's not going down the right road this year, for whatever reason, They'll try to get something for him and move on from him, just like they did with Jamie Collins last year. Um, I also wouldn't rule out a Deion Lewis trade. You know, he's proven he's healthy, and if they feel like they can get somebody for him, I could see them trading Deion Lewis. So I think you'll hear the Patriots' name very active in trade talks, but I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo will be a part of it.
1: Tom Brady has achieved the AFC Player of the Week award, marking the 28th time he's (laughs) earned a Player of the Week honors. He um, broke Peyton Manning's record. Uh, what does what do you see? I mean, I know we've already had this conversation of him being the goat. Uh, have you guys asked him the question, and, and, and how did he handle it if the question was asked of him? Or in your mind, how do you think he's thinking of that award and that achievement of passing Peyton Manning?
5: Well, I, I think he appreciates everything. Um, he, you know, he does the Bill Belichick thing where it's always be like, you know, there'll be a time to look back on that. And, you know, he obviously has a lot of respect for Peyton and what he accomplished, but He's in the midst of it. I mean, he's only a week removed here from sort of calling out his team and saying they, the attitude and competitiveness needed to be addressed after that opening night loss to the, uh, the Chiefs. So he is fixated on the job at hand, you know, even with the, the book. I'm sure you guys are well aware that the TB12 Method book, um, Lifestyle, whatever it's called, came out yesterday, but he's made it clear, you know, he's not looking to spend a lot of time promoting that. He did a CBS interview, and I'm not sure you're going to see much else about that book because it would be disrespectful to his team and everything he's sort of emphasized over the years. If he fixated on these awards or the book or any of these other things, it would be anti-everything Tom Brady has been about. Um, And I think Tom Brady is still about winning the football game for that week. I think this week he's fixated on J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless and those guys that gave him a tough time last January in that playoff game. You know, hit him eight times and sacked him twice and had him in a tight ball game in the second half of of a playoff game. So, um, you know, he respects all that, and I think he understands the importance of it and he's proud of it. But for the here and now, it's it's sort of a a secondary topic.
2: Andy, great information as always. We appreciate the time. I'm sure you saw that the latest survey from Forbes magazine has the Patriots, second only to the Cowboys, in terms of franchise value, $3.7 billion. So if you want to ask for a raise, now's the time to do it. (laughs)
5: Yeah, I think I'm actually personally responsible for this in the last couple of years. I'm the value.
2: Yeah, forget about those Lombardi trophies. It's about Patriots.com Radio. Thank you, Andy.
0: That's right. We are everywhere. All right, see you guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let TuneIn bring you home. With TuneIn's local radio browse feature, listen to live FM and AM radio stations from your home area as if you've never left
2: town. Spend the day listening to your favorite stations and hosts, local news and talk shows, and familiar voices that you've grown to love. Or maybe you're missing that morning drive show that gets you to the office. Your go-to hip-hop station with special guest DJs. Or maybe sports talk about your favorite team. Then catch your hometown favorites with local radio on TuneIn. With TuneIn, you can go home again.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for Cordell and I to detail the teams we are more than sure are better than the rest
0: takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League.
2: Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision
0: to find clarity in an always-changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure.
2: I'm more than sure. All right, partner, it's a fast changing world. Do you want to shake up the format here? I've been going first for the majority of these conversations. Would you like me to take the honors or defer to you, the star of the program?
1: Keep doing what you do. I like to. I like to go after you. You're always really good.
2: Thank you. I think you steal a lot of. You're always saying. really good. Yeah.
1: I mean, I just want to hear this. I need. To, <laughs> I need to get a load of all this. This okay. stuff is pretty interesting, and I need the reasoning behind all this. Yes.
2: Stuff too. All right. Remember, limited time though. Coming yes. up at twenty-five past the hour. Patriot Talk with Andy Hart. All right. Number five, your Atlanta Falcons, and you're going to say, "Wait a minute. That is way too low." Here's my counter. I have to put what Green Bay was missing into context. Both offensive tackles out. Jordy Nelson got hurt. Randall Cobb got banged up. So, quality victory, but that's what Atlanta does at home. I can't overlook what I watched them fail to do. Yes, they won week one on the road in Chicago, but that game was way too competitive. Atlanta very good, but not number one. At number four, the Patriots. I'm aware of what they failed to do week one at home against the Kansas City Chiefs, but that's a small sample size. And yes, the Saints defense is abysmal, but the Patriots came alive. Want to see what Rob Gronkowski looks like on Sunday against Houston as he's been hobbled by the groin injury, but the Patriots are just fine. Reports of their demise greatly exaggerated. Number three, your Pittsburgh Steelers. Welcome back to the NFL, Martavis Bryant. Sure, he played week one against Cleveland, but he got to the end zone against Minnesota. Had some fun when he got there, shooting some dice. Le'Veon Bell slowly raising his intensity. Clearly, when you match up with Case Keenum, you have a huge advantage. But the Pittsburgh defense stepped up and made the plays they had to. Pittsburgh, the most lethal offense in all of football. I need to see more, though, defensively moving forward. Number three in my power rankings. Number two, the silver and black are back. Yes, they played the Jets. But when you face gang green, you got to pound them. And that is precisely what Oakland did. Beast mode was beastly. Touchdown, Marshawn Lynch. Derek Carr to Crabtree. Not once, not twice. Three times. Raiders to me showing... Gradual defensive improvement. Derek Carr belongs on the short list of MVP contenders. They are number two in my power rankings. The number one team in all of football comes down to this simple analysis. They have the two best victories. Week one on the road at Gillette Stadium. They backed it up. At home on Sunday, beating a very good Philadelphia team. I'm not putting Alex Smith in the Hall of Fame, but he's playing tremendously to start the year. It helps to have Kareem Hunt, the rookie from Toledo. He's been a rocket at the outset. Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in all of football. And most importantly, the Kansas City defense did not fall apart without Eric Berry. Kansas City, the best team in all of football, counting them down. Casey Kasem style at number five, Atlanta, number four, New England, number three, Pittsburgh, number two, Oakland, number one, Kansas City. Back to you.
1: All right. I like how you put Kansas City at number one. That was great. You didn't have to beat up Alex Smith. He's playing good football. It's a week-to-week thing, so he's really playing really, really good football. I'll get to who I think is number one, but I'm having an issue at number six. I mean, at number five, excuse me, because here's a Denver Broncos team that I know was number 15 last year, and Uh, last week excuse me i know they were 15 last week and it's easy uh, to feel as if that's too big of a jump for this football team but the way they played against the chargers week one changing it up at the very end of the game calling time out to freeze that kicker and all of a sudden getting the block to win that game and just annihilating my dallas cowboys Dak prescott and ezekiel elliott the boys with the stars I know Oakland is playing good, but you know what? I'm going to leave Oakland at number six, and I'm going to slide my Denver Broncos. Vance Joseph and the Denver Broncos, the dunkies. they end up having an opportunity to be at number five for me. Why? Because the defense is playing really good. The guys up front are doing a phenomenal job, but keep to leave, taking one back to the house. It looked like the Denver Broncos Super Bowl team that was actually scoring points on the defensive side of the football, which I don't think too many other teams in the National Football League right now are doing. Look at the offense. C.J. Anderson and company. Jamal Charles made the team. He's being productive and helping. And Trevor Simeon, he's just playing great football right now. I think Fan Joseph has his team playing really good. Easily could put Oakland at five, but you know what? I'm going to put the Denver Broncos at number five. And my number four team, I'm going with the New England Patriots. I know they had a tremendous loss against the Kansas City Chiefs week one, and they rebounded very, very well against a very enabled, I would say, defense and also team of the New Orleans Saints, not knowing who they want to play at the running back position, not knowing who's on the defensive side of the football to make the stops. I think the New Orleans Patriots took advantage of what they had on that side of the football and the defensive side. Tom Brady playing like Tom terrific uh, that I think he truly is and playing some really outstanding football. My number three team, I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons. I'm not drinking a Kool-Aid yet. I know they came out and, and had a great win against a Green Bay team, but you mentioned it. Look at their offensive tackles missing. Look at the backup missing. Okay? You had a quarterback. He's throwing sideways. He's throwing lateral. They end up picking the ball up. True fun. He ends up taking it to the house. End up being defensive player of the week on the defensive side of football in the NFC. Great job for the Atlanta Falcons. But you know what? I'll have them at number three. Matt Ryan and that offense is outstanding. I think they did a phenomenal job at the Mercedes-Benz Dome. But they struggled week one against the Chicago Bears. If Mike Glennon and company can catch the ball one of the two times in the end zone, they will be one and one right now. So, I'll least give them the number three spot next the black and yellow black and gold black and yellow wherever you're from wherever you are which one ever you choose to call it yellow or gold i'm gonna go with the black and yellow with what we see i think the pittsburgh steelers is really playing some really good football right now even though it's not as pretty i think as most would love to see especially in that city very stubborn group of people when it comes down to pittsburgh steelers fan and how they feel you should win football games sometimes ugly wins are great but you know what Martavis Bryant took a slant on first and 20 only a five yard catch ran across the field end up scoring a touchdown you end up seeing Le'Veon Bell being a little bit more productive giving 87 yards Antonio Brown you know who he is and that defense played very very well and so looking at this Pittsburgh Steelers team right now while not clicking on all cylinders they're clicking well enough to get the wins this team is the one I think that's trying to contend against that New England Patriots team and whoever else consider themselves as the best team in the AFC this Pittsburgh Steelers team right now with Ben Roethlisberger having all of his pieces in place playing some really good football now the number one spot yeah it is about Alex Smith okay here's a guy who actually went out last week gave the ball to his running back out of the backfield and Kareem Hunt on over a 50-yard pass he gave it to Tariq Hill one of his fast receivers on the offense gave it to him Also, Kareem Hunt ran the football very well between the tackles and that defense. Even without Eric Berry this last week, did a phenomenal job. The guy, Justin Houston, he just keeps making plays at the latter part of the game. But again, last but not least, it is about number 11. It's about Alex Smith. What is he doing? He's spreading the football across the field, between the small little areas, down the field over the outside shoulder when there's man-to-man coverage, scrambling when he needs to, getting the first down when he has to. And Andy Reid's doing a phenomenal job of leaving the game plan wide wide open to allow this quarterback to play the game the way they need him to play so guess what my number five spot is the Broncos. The Dunkeys. The Broncos fans. Joseph. In Vance, we trust. The Broncos at number five. At number four, the New England Patriots. We know they're going to get better. At number three, the Falcons. I like where they are, but I think they need to show a little bit more as they progress. Last but not least, when we get to the last two teams, I think they are the best two teams in the AFC. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers, the black and yellow, led by number seven. The guy that they love most. The guy that taking them to championships. The quarterback. Big Ben, Uh uh-huh. Big Ben Roethlisberger and company. And last but not least, the Chiefs. I am talking about Alex Smith. He is getting it done, Brian Weber. You need to buy into it, buy into it now, because they are the best team when it comes to the power rankings. Andy Reid and his Chiefs. Back to you. I'm
2: buying into it. That's why at Kansas City, number one, glaring omission on your list. How dare you disrespect the Oakland Raiders? I'm going to text Marshawn Lynch. You take it up with beast mode. Straight ahead. He's still dancing.
0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Expanding upon the witty and ironic dispatches for which she is known, actress Anna Kendrick's audiobook, Scrappy Little Nobody, offers her one-of-a-kind commentary on the absurdity she's experienced on her way to, and from, the heart of pop culture.
6: Author's note. That's me. I'm the author.
0: Featuring a collection of humorous autobiographical essays, Kendrick amusingly recounts memorable moments throughout her life.
6: I'm sure I've mixed up the timeline and contradicted myself, but I've tried to get it right.
0: From a middle-class upbringing in New England to the movies that have made her one of Hollywood's brightest stars.
6: i changed some names to protect the innocent and to protect my mother from people in her book club coming at her like, that's not how my kid remembers that day in preschool. A lot of things that are meaningful to me didn't make the cut because they just weren't entertaining. For example, my childhood best friend Meg isn't in the book at all because it turns out my mom was right. Those stories really are only funny to the two of us.
0: With your premium subscription, listen to every fun chapter of Scrappy Little Nobody by Anna Kendrick on TuneIn today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber
2: and Cordell Stewart. Let's close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast today with the fantasy fix from Nick Menzio of rotoworld.com.
0: Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him the he He's gone. He's gone. What a move! It takes skill to win your fantasy championship. Separating the zeros. Now he
3: goes to the near side and it's picked
0: off. Intercepted. From the fantasy heroes.
2: Down the middle. It's caught over the shoulder in the end zone.
0: Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy, fantasy fix. <laughs>
2: Let's bring in Nick Menzio from rotoworld.com. Nick, we appreciate the time. Let's start with the Falcons. Go back to last year. The splits, home and away, were pretty pronounced. We know how well this team plays indoors. We saw it again on Sunday against Green Bay. Would you consider benching certain players from the Falcons on the road? And how do you factor in what's the matchup this week? They're on the road in Detroit, but they're playing inside of Ford Field.
6: Yeah, I mean, they got the second highest total of the week. That that Falcons-Lions game's got a 50-point line right now, which is trailing the Raiders and Redskins by a couple points. But I think this game's going to be a shootout. I mean, obviously on the road, you're talking about outdoor games, clearly from last season. I mean, Matt Ryan had some big games on the road in Oakland, in Seattle, in Tampa Bay last season. So I wouldn't really get too caught up looking at home road splits too much. But definitely guys like secondary players like Mohamed Sanu, Taylor Gabriel, Austin Hooper, guys like that, I, I probably wouldn't start.
1: After week two in the NFL, is there a guy like Tariq Coyne or Jesse James that jumps out to you as a guy to target on the waiver wires?
6: Yeah, I mean, the big the big pickup this week was Chris Carson, Seahawks running back. He's taken, taken lead of that backfield. Eddie Lacy still seems to be a bit out of shape, Lee, uh, trying to learn that offense. Thomas Rawls can't stay healthy. So Chris Carson's definitely the number one pickup of the week. And then a couple guys I, I also like is – so P. Ryan for the Redskins, J.J. Nelson for the Cardinals, Jermaine Kearse for the Jets. Those are a few guys I'd also be looking at.
2: Talking fantasy football with Nick Mencio from rotoworld.com. Nick, Kansas City's been a tremendous story, and we know what Kareem Hunt has already done. As defenses start to focus on him, what's the fantasy impact going to be then on Alex Smith?
6: Yeah, I really like Smith this year. I think he's he's trying to take some more chances this season now that he's got Patrick Mahomes breathing down his neck for the starting job up there. And just he has these guys that make plays after the catch. Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, some of the best players with the ball in their hands. So if they can make plays after the catch, and that's just putting stats on the board for Smith as well. So I really like Smith as a, as a fringe QB1, QB2 in fantasy for sure.
1: I am buying Alex Smith, and I'm also buying this tight end. Uh, Travis Kelsey, but has Travis, has Travis Kelsey surpassed Gronkowski as the t- top tight end uh, to own, even if you put aside the injuries concerns?
6: I mean, obviously, we got Gronk and Kelsey right at the top there, especially with Greg Olson hurt now. Jordan Reed just can't get healthy, so the conversation is def- definitely, definitely between Gronk and Kelsey, but I still like Gronk by, by a hair. I think it's the premier touchdown score in the league. So just give me Gronk and Kelsey's an awesome consolation.
2: Nick, if we think about what LeGarrette Blunt did a year ago in New England, 18 rushing touchdowns, small sample size so far in Philadelphia, he's been largely a non-factor. And if you want to factor in more negative analysis, didn't do much in the preseason, would you move on from Blunt? And if you had a spotlight of Philadelphia back, would you ride with Darren Sproles?
6: Yeah, after last week in Kansas City, I think you got to ride with Sproles for now. Uh, Blunt just, he doesn't fit in any offense outside of New England. and He's just, he, they like to run stretch plays there in, in Philly, and obviously that's not Blunt's game at all. Uh, last season he was getting all those touchdowns with a bunch of leads. So, I mean, the Eagles aren't going to outscore opponent, opponents like the Patriots were last year. So, I think you got to dump one right now and just ride with Sproles for sure.
1: Antonio Gates have finally done a phenomenal job of, of being the marquee tight end. Uh, with the Chargers, but also in the National Football League. But now that he's passed Tony Gonzalez, do you think his role will lessen and Hunter Henry become a bigger option in that offense?
6: Yeah, fantasy fantasy owners definitely got scared after that week one where Hunter Henry wasn't targeted at all. Uh, I know people got scared and dumped him on the waiver wire, and then he had a big, big game last week, seven catches, 80 yards, caught all of his targets. Gates looks like he's slowed down for sure. They were definitely trying to funnel him the ball to get that record yeah, like you said, I, I think this is Henry's job to lose going forward. I think he's obviously the younger talent, more speed, uh, definitely going to work the middle of the field more, but Gates is still going to have a role down in the red zone for sure.
2: He scored, L. Stewart. I'm Brian Weber, the fantasy fix with Nick Mencio from rotoworld.com. Nick, two weeks ago, Chris Johnson was on the couch just like the rest of us watching NFL football. The David Johnson injury led to his return, and he led the Cardinals in rushing a week ago on the road in Indy. Do you think Johnson's worth a pickup, or would you have concerns because even though Carson Palmer's a turnover machine, we know Arizona focuses on throwing the football?
6: Yeah, I mean, I would pick up. I would pick up Johnson. Uh, Kerwin Williams was getting all the love at this time last week, but Johnson knows that system. He's a veteran. Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians loves his veterans out there. So, if I was going to pick any back to own in Arizona, it definitely definitely be Johnson. But I'm my my hopes aren't too hot for him unless once the bye weeks start getting here, and then he can maybe have some value as a running back three or flex play.
1: Sammy Watkins, uh, while being a good player when he's healthy, is a phenomenal deep threat. Uh, but do you expect to see him uh, targeted more in, or is his value still a bit of an uncertainty?
6: Yeah, he's a bit uncertain right now. I don't know if he's more, any more than a wide receiver three in fantasy, but – He's still learning this offense. He's still learning how to play with Jared Goff. Jared Goff has that connection with Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, those guys he's been practicing with all summer. So I think it's just a learning process for Watkins right now. I expect him to play a lot better as the season goes along, for sure.
2: Nick, last one for me. It's always tricky to assess the true value of a defense. Do you swap them in based on a matchup, or do you embrace – Maybe a transcendent defense like we think Houston could be. Houston was number one in total defense last year without J.J. Watt. He's back, but based on the fact they're playing on the road in New England on Sunday, how would you approach the Houston defense?
6: Yeah, definitely can't play the Houston defense this week at all. I think the Patriots have the the highest total of the week or the second highest total. They're just going to pour points on them, I think. Uh, But if I was picking a defense this week, I'd be looking at the Packers at home against the Bengals. The Eagles at home against the Giants who can't block anyone right now up front, that offensive line is struggling bad, and that Eagles front four is just awesome at getting after the pass So I'd be looking at the Eagles if, if they're available anywhere. I'd be streaming them hardcore this week.
2: Nick, we appreciate the information. Thanks for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn.
0: Yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.